I have seen deer walk right past falling white oaks and swamp chestnut oaks to eat acorns from from a dropping red oak. So this hard and fast rule that I think hunters have have overly adopted that deer just like white oaks over red oaks. I've never read a scientific paper that I guess that has reviewed enough research projects showing that over and over again to actually, for me to adopt that as is, is, is 100% truth. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and hey, we're into November now, the month that many of us have been waiting for all year. Uh, I know for most deer hunters across the country, we're kind of right in the heart of some of the best deer hunting of the season. So I hope you guys are getting out there, spending as much time in the deer woods as possible. Um, Unfortunately, I, I haven't got to witness a lot of great rut activity just yet. But that doesn't mean that it, it's not happening out there around me. You know, it's it's all about being in the right place at the right time this time of year and, and being there when that that hot dough comes through. And that's when things, uh, you know, can really get interesting and, and you can have just absolutely one of the best hunts of your life. But it's just a game of chance, guys. The The more you can be out there this time of year, the better your odds are of being in that right place at the right time. So. Again, I just hope you guys are getting out there as much as you can without getting into too much trouble with the boss or the family. So take advantage of that. Get you a, a rutcation going and get out there and uh, try to fill some deer tags, guys. It's it's game time, like I said, for most of us across the country. But since it's a, a great time to be deer hunting, we thought it would be a great time to talk hunting strategy here on the podcast. So we're actually going to be talking to North Carolina deer biologist Mariah Boggess about how he uses his understanding of oak trees and oak ecology to improve his odds of success in the woods. So we're going to look at you know things like why being able to identify the different species of oak trees, uh, knowing when and where they're going to drop acorns, finding the trees that the deer are currently feeding under. All that is is key to to hunting success throughout much of the deer season. Uh, particularly in big woods country. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for this interview. We had a great talk with Mariah. Uh, He's a wealth of knowledge and and just a great guy to talk to. But before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by longtime NDA sponsors, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Uh, Guys, I I hate to say it, but but Christmas is right around the corner. I won't even scare you by, by breaking down how many weeks you actually have left to shop at this point. Hey, but there's no better place than Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's to knock out that shopping list for the sportsmen and sportswomen in your life. So you can head over to your local store or, hey, you can shop online right there at the comfort of your home at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. So be sure to check those out. A couple of NDA promotions going on that are wrapping up this week. So I want to make sure we mention those before we get Mariah on the phone. Uh, first, we have an NDA pop-up store. This is kind of a new thing. First time we've done this, but it's just a a temporary store with a bunch of NDA branded items in there, like shirts, hoodies, caps, coffee mugs, license plates, uh, and more, uh, all at great prices. And that store is actually wrapping up. It's been open since, I think, October 21st. It's wrapping up this Thursday, November 4th, which if you're listening to this podcast the day it releases, 
that's tomorrow. So be sure to get over there, check that out. Uh, all the items ordered that you order on there are guaranteed to be there by Christmas. Uh, you can head over to our website at deerassociation.com and look for that banner image on our homepage for our uh, our NDA gear pop-up shop. So check that out. Uh, second promotion is our holiday membership special that, that we've mentioned on here a few times. That's wrapping up this Friday, November 5th. And uh, in that one, for $100, you're going to get an NDA annual membership with all the standard deliverables, you know, your quality Whitetails magazine, vehicle decal, and NDA cap. But with this one, you're also going to get a great-looking NDA pullover and your choice of black or charcoal gray. So you can learn more about that one, again, at DeerAssociation.com slash holiday membership. And then one last thing before we jump on the phone here with Mariah. Uh, hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, which I hope you are, uh, and you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, we'd love for you to take just a second to, first of all, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Hey, leave us a five-star rating. That only takes a second. Just hit that little five-star deal on your phone app. And if you're really feeling generous, hey, just take a minute to leave us a written review. Uh, you can use that opportunity to, to tell us what you like about the show, hey, what you don't like. Uh, tell us who you'd like us to have on as a guest or what kind of topics you'd like to hear us cover here on the podcast. Uh, any feedback at all is welcomed on that on that uh, review site there on Apple Podcasts. So be sure to leave us one of those. And hey, we'll read uh, we'll read those reviews right here on upcoming episodes as well. If you if you drop us one, so be sure to take advantage of that. And with that, guys, we're going to jump on the phone here with Mariah Bogus to talk oak tree deer hunting strategies. All right, guys, I got Mariah Bogus on the line. Uh, Mariah, how you doing? And I'm doing well. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to be talking deer. Always something I enjoy to do. And uh, hopefully your season, everyone else's season is off to a good start. Yeah, yeah, it's been 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 a little slow for me, but uh, man, I'm just glad to be back out there. Uh, that's for sure. And looking forward here to the to the coming weeks when it gets uh, starts getting right. So, but and actually, of course, by the by the time the folks are listening to this, it will probably be well into November. Uh, but as we record this, it's actually you know early October. So, has your season, your deer season, opened there in North Carolina yet? Oh yes, we. We opened uh, early in September, and um, you know we have gun seasons coming in at, at various times across the state. So uh, our black powder season here just opened this past weekend. So uh, it is it is deer season. We are right in smack oh. in the middle of another deer season, believe it or not. Oh yeah. So have you got out yet? Had a chance to to get out and chase I've, them? I've been out. I've been hunting uh, acorns. You know, um, that's that's kind of my jam, whether it's <laughs> early season or late season. So right now, at least for uh, the East Coast, you know, for anyone in the coastal plain, I'm seeing swamp uh, swamp laurel oaks dropping pretty well. And um, I've seen a few. Uh, I found a northern red oak the other day, a southern red oak that had acorns. And I found like one swamp chestnut oak of all my walking that, that had an acorn um, and very little on white oak. So. You know, it's different every, you know, and we'll probably talk about this more, but it's different across the country and what's actually producing. But from talking to people in, in the Carolinas and in the coastal plain, that's pretty much what it's looking like this year. It doesn't look like a banner white oak year, at least in this part of the Southeast. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely dive into that, but I just, yeah, that's similar to what, what I'm seeing here. I'm not seeing a lot of white oaks. 
just now we just had like five days of constant rain and and wind and and so I went back here behind my house yesterday, I guess it was, uh, and did notice a, a few more white oak acorns on the ground from from that. But uh, so I, I think they're there. I mean, I've been seeing them up in the treetops, but it's just been uh, they just haven't been hitting yet. You know, seeing some red oaks drop and some uh, some water oaks, that kind of stuff. But yeah, not a not a lot of white oak activity just yet. But um, I'm sure by the time folks hear this, um, you know, if, if they had white oaks in the trees, they're, they're probably hitting the ground. But uh, we'll, right. we'll definitely we'll definitely dive into more of that here in a little bit. But now I know you went to. You went to NC State at school there, but are, are you originally from North Carolina? Yeah, that's right. Born and raised in the western side of the state, now living on the coast of North Carolina. Okay. Well, now I know you, you made a few moves over the last several years for, for school and work. And uh, I know during that time, you, were, you focused a lot of effort on hunting public land in those other states. Um, what about now? Do you, do you have, being in your home state, do you have some, some nice private land to, to hunt around there? Or are you still going to be a, a public land hunter for the most part? I, uh, I kind of by choice hunting public land. And I say that by choice, just simply because I, I absolutely love getting out and just hiking. And, and when I'm on private land, I'm, I'm always constrained. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hunting national forests mostly here and, you know, just big pieces of land that you can walk forever and never run out of space. And that's, an outdoorsman's dream and it doesn't matter hunting or whatever you know it's kind of that feeling of being able to just keep going and there's always something that might be over the next ridge you know you're you're not running into into a property line you can always just keep going and you might be able to find the spot that you need to sit so that's kind of the allure for me and and so yeah i'm i'm hunting national forest mostly yeah Uh, i'm right there with you as, as a public land hunter i think that's a big part of the the reason i love hunting big pieces of public land as well is just, I, I just always like exploring and, and learning new, new pieces of ground. And like you said, seeing what's over that next ridge, uh, you know, even before I was a hunter, I was a kid running around the woods doing the same thing. So it's kind of uh, just translated over now to a, a big kid that likes to run around in the woods <laughs> and yeah. see what's around the yeah. next bend, you know, but yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and that's the thing too, is like from, from someone Someone who loves the scout, you know, and like, I, I think that's it. When I talk to most people that hunt public land, why they enjoy it is it's the fact that you can scout and actively find the deer. And, uh, you know, growing up, I'd hunt 10 or 20 acres and, and I knew of the, I knew of any trees I might be able to hunt on it, any oak trees. And that was about it. They weren't producing. I was out of luck, you know, and, and you're constrained to those stand size and, and it works great a couple of weeks out of the year, but the rest of the time, you know. If, if you're hunting on public land, you can at least walk. And I mean, I, honestly, that's 90% of the fun to me is just trying to find the deer where to hunt. Oh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And before we get too far down the road here, I guess with, with hunting and, and oaks and acorns, uh, can you tell the folks just a little bit about yourself and, you know, maybe how you developed your initial interest in hunting and the outdoors? Absolutely. Yeah. I uh, came from a real non traditional hunting background, meaning that no one in my family hunted. I just kind of picked it up. Um, living in the country, I was aware of hunting, um, found my first shed and uh, my first shed antler kind of got into shed antler hunting, which then got me into deer hunting. Um, growing up in North Carolina, wanted to uh, wanted to, to go into wildlife management. And so I went to NC State um, studying wildlife science. And then I eventually went to Mississippi State for my master's degree. And, and my master's degree was actually studying red oaks 
and endear interaction. That was part of one of, one of my, the chapters of my thesis. And so that's actually something we'll, we'll talk about today. And, and it's kind of forced me into a kind of a deep dive into oceanology, <laughs> at least during my thesis. And it's grown into something I absolutely love. I always enjoyed plant identification and habitat management, but the understanding oak ecology and how that relates to deer, or I should say rather how deer relate to oak ecology is, is something just fun. And, and for someone that's, that's kind of a, a, a nerd to start out with and just enjoys understanding how um, different species relate to each other, it, it's something I really enjoyed. So um, ever since my thesis uh, years ago and, and something that I kind of learned through my thesis research, I've been applying that more and more in the woods, out scouting, um, whether that's hunting a deer or whether that's shed hunting, uh, you know, whatever I'm doing outdoors, I'm, I'm constantly paying attention to the trees, to the oaks. Um, and I'd say that, you know, most, most any serious hunter, whether they're, they're hunting oaks or some other food source, they're keyed into what the deer are eating, whether that's forbs, whether that's woody brows or, or hard mass, soft mass, you know, being an effective deer hunter or just being an effective sportsman means that you need to understand the landscape that your animal uses. And um, so, yeah, that was my master's and uh, that was done in Mississippi State in the deer lab there. Uh, and I spent the last year working up in Indiana as the deer biologist there and got the opportunity to come back to my home state um, here in 2021. And that's where I'm working now. So uh, back in North Carolina, this is my first season back in North Carolina and quite some time, first time ever hunting the coastal plain. So I'm, I mean, you know, I, I'm just like a, a baby wet behind the ears trying to figure out what's going on here. You know, um, it, it's quite different. I'm out walking around and um, come up, come along, you know, a swamp and there could be an alligator in that swamp. There could be all kinds of cool things around, in and around you know, bear tracks, run into a bear, bear scat, just all, all really cool things. Um, the snakes that I've got to see, the turtles, everything, being a wildlife enthusiasts the, the different species i've got to see here has really been mind-blowing i'm uh i'm in a, in a new place for sure <laughs> no doubt about it coming from the midwest yeah i, I can i can uh relate to that coming from uh, kentucky to south georgia kind of had some similar experience there you know just a whole whole different set of uh, uh critters to encounter and and habitat and stuff down here so yeah, i can certainly relate but before we, uh, you know, I want to dig in a little bit to about your current job and what you do. But before we do, kind of touching on, you know, you mentioned your master's research there. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what specifically were you looking at or, or what what did your uh, um, experiment or study look like? What what were you looking at specifically? Yeah, so uh, I was working with with my advisors, Dr. Bronson Strickland and, and Marcus Lashley. and um, and so we, we designed this experiment that, that we finally came to call it an acorn addition experiment. Um, and so essentially what that boiled down to is I picked up acorns and I put them under trees and looked at how deer, deer reacted to them. Um, in, in the year I did this, it was a particularly poor mast year. So there wasn't much um, hard mass, you know, acorns on, on the landscape. And uh, I picked 50 trees, half of them. Um, I just monitored with a camera and then the other half of them I monitored with a camera, but I also added acorns too. Um, so I, I used a machine, um, to basically kind of roll it over the ground. It, it has these little teeth that picks up the acorns and throws them into a bin. And I pushed that thing all around Startville, Mississippi, wherever there was trees dropping, uh, particularly Schumard oaks dropping. 
Um, and I'd pick up these acorns and I'd put them in a cooler. I'd, I'd fill up these, you know, 50 pound sacks essentially of acorns and put them in our big walk-in cooler. And I think I, I got 13 or 14 bags of those things. And then I went and spread those out underneath those 25 oak trees. And the experiment was, at least the first part of the experiment was looking at how deer reacted to those acorns. Well, not just deer, but we were, we were actually monitoring all acorn predators or species that eat acorns. And um, in, in northern Mississippi, that boiled down to a whole heap of deer and squirrels. Lots of squirrels. But um, uh, then I went through all that trail camera data, of course, logged it, uh, input it into a data file so that I, I could actually uh, run some analyses on it. And, um, and what we found, I think the, the biggest takeaway that I, I got from that experiment was that deer were reacting to those acorns being available to them, um, which, you know, kind of intuitive, of course, deer are gonna, gonna, going to eat acorns. Um, but it was the time of year that they were eating them. So I mentioned that these were Schumard oak acorns. Uh, Schumard oak is a bottomland red oak species. Um, it, it usually occurs in pretty rich soils um, near flooded areas, but it's not super water tolerant. It, it won't be in as wet of soil as, as like overcup of oak or some of these uh, more um, moist soil tolerant species. But the bottomland oak, and it's really similar to northern red oak. It's kind of like if you imagine a northern red oak down in a bottomland forest, meaning it, it's usually a really tall, straight, pretty tree. Um, it'll sometimes have striping on the bark, the long, uh, light stripes running down the bark. And it produces a real large acorn similar to a northern red oak. And, um, and so what we found is that the, between the sites that had acorns and those that didn't, there was a four times increase in, in deer use. Um, and that was basically that, that difference in, in use of those sites was the difference between deer randomly walking past the tree and deer coming to a tree to feed on those acorns. And so about four times increase in, in deer visits to those trees. Um, and when those were occurring was the second and third week of January. That's essentially when that, that peaked. So I, in northern Mississippi, mass was falling beginning of November, first week of November. That's when I put out all of these acorns. And, and so those acorns were on the ground for, for several weeks. They, they were on the ground probably uh, six or seven weeks before the deer really reacted to them. And if you look at deer visits, the, the difference in, in deer coming to those trees versus just walking randomly past the other trees, it was slowly climbing. There was more and more deer use of those acorns until you got to early January, and then it just spiked through the roof. Um, and it, on this particular study site, the peak of the rut is about the second week of of December, first or second week of December. So the deer were really feeding on these acorns post rut. Um, it, it was definitively post rut by several weeks. And, um, and, and there was a very well defined peak in, in deer use. And then that kind of slowly tapered off um, into, into March, really. They were still elevated deer use of these trees. And, um, you know, of course, as a hunter, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention on as <laughs> yeah. a researcher. Also, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, huh, well, the deer season in Mississippi goes through the end of January and, and that, I, you know, maybe I should be finding some oak trees. So that's something I've kind of taken forward. And um, that, that was just, of course, one part of my thesis. That was one smaller observation in it. And then we were also looking at the deer's effect on those plant communities under those trees. And because and there's, there's a ripple of effects, essentially. And we were kind of looking at that, that, uh, th those effects and, of course, how deer affect forest ecology. 
Um, but yeah, that, that was my background and my thesis. And, and that's really how it relates to, uh, to this, this conversation, but it's very cool. You know, it's very cool to have a data set like that where you can measure the difference because the rest of the time I'm just out running cameras and, you know, and I, I can say, well, there's a lot of deer using this tree, but I don't necessarily know how that relates to other trees or anything like that. And, and, you know, through, through that data set, it was very apparent deer were selecting those red oaks once they've been on the ground for six, six, to eight weeks. That's when they're reacting. That's interesting. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely dive a lot more into that here a little later in the conversation. And yeah, that's what I love about this deer research and stuff like this. It's not that I enjoy all the, uh, the statistical analysis and all that kind of stuff, but man, there's so much of this you can take and apply as a deer hunter. You know, if you pay attention and, and kind of, you know, read through all the scientific speak and, and get to kind of the, the meat of the matter. But yeah, there's a lot of great information out there. And of course that's, you know, that's one thing we try to do at the NDA is take that kind of information and, you know, you've written articles for us on, on this kind of stuff, but to take that, you know, scientific uh, data and, and research and basically write a, just a, um, you know, a popular type article that any deer hunter can understand, you know, take, to basically translate all those statistics and data into something that, you know, us hunters can read and, and understand and, and take that information out and, you know, help them be more successful in the field. So uh, that's why I, I've always enjoyed, you know, looking at and talking about this kind of stuff. So, but before, again, before we get too far into uh, that part of it, I did want to, you know, let you talk a little bit about what you do there now as the deer biologist for uh, North Carolina. Yeah. So, so like I said, I've, I'm pretty fresh into this role, so I'm still getting acclimated um, but as a deer biologist, they're essentially you know, working on uh, everything deer within a state. So that can be everything from season structure, um, season, you know, analyzing harvest and, and monitoring those populations, making recommendations should there need to be a change to a season or a shift in a season um, or or or, yeah, even even when certain licenses are valid. Um, and then, of course, the disease management side, which is something that, you know, obviously in the in the wildlife world, especially in the deer, deer world, uh, is becoming more and more important. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's probably always been very important, but I think it's something we're, we're paying more and more attention to uh, more than ever. But working on chronic waste disease surveillance and, and some of those other initiatives to monitor herd health. Um, you know, my job is essentially to, to monitor the deer population or populations across North Carolina and make recommendations that are beneficial to uh, the deer deer population long term, um, and, and also incorporating hunting as a as a management tool um, to manage those populations. So uh, that's a very broad answer because you could dive down into any one of them into certain um, you know, certain projects initiatives. And, and honestly, you know it, that can vary from day to day on on what's a hot button issue, <laughs> what what pops up as as being a problem that maybe we need to dive into a little bit deeper and. And when there's something related to deer um, within the state that that pops up to be, um, maybe someone says, "Hey, here's a regulation change that that looks like you know th this is an issue or this is something we should address." Um, yeah, I'm I'm the one that kind of has to go back to the drawing board and, and talk to other uh, biologists within the agency to put together data sets and do some um, do some research, you know, within kind of in house here within the agency put together all of the, the facts that we know so that we can better inform decisions, management decisions. So it, it usually comes down to regulatory action. And 
Um, and while I don't make those you know, regulatory decisions, obviously, I'm, I'm the subject matter expert on, you know, if you have a question about deer, I can put together everything we know about deer um, to help inform those decisions. Yeah. Got to, got to wear a lot of hats as a deer biologist yeah. for sure. And, and man, I, I, I kind of feel for you and, and the other deer biologists across the country, because uh, I know you can never make everybody happy, no matter what decision you make, you know, somebody, somebody out there is going to be upset about it and, th- and thinks, uh, you know, you're not doing the right thing. So uh, I, I definitely feel for you guys. Um, but well, uh, there's ahead. a whole lot of different ways you can manage deer populations and there's a whole lot of different opinions on how they should be managed. So, you know, that's, you brought up a good point there and that's the social science part. And yeah, we absolutely. have some, we have social scientists, you know, that kind of help, they, they help study that part of it, but that's also part of every biologist's role is incorporating that, the social side. And it's like, you know, it, you could choose one management um, strategy and, and maybe a set of goals or, or objectives, but who's to say that's right. If that's not what your constituent, if, if that's not what the, you know, the hunters within your state, the, the public within your state wants. So yeah, by, Biolog, you know, management of, of species is more than just the biology side. There's, and it's multifaceted and, and you kind of got to be on your toes and listening and uh, you end up being more of a, of a, a people biologist talking, talking and relating science to people, which happily, I, I guess I'm glad I enjoy that. Cause that's <laughs> why I'm, I'm talking today is I, I do love talking about deer and it's like, you know, um, whatever someone wants to know about it, if, if, if I can help, I, I love to talk about it it's fun to learn about deer, you know, as, as being a deer nerd myself. I mean, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the thing I remember most from my wildlife biology courses is that professor always pounded in, you know, wildlife management is more people management than anything else, you know, and that's, uh, that's true. There's a lot of truth to that. It is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, let's, like I said, I brought you on here to talk to you about, um, you know, oaks and acorns and, and hunting strategy around that, you know, you've uh, just recently, or at least in the, the fall issue of quality whitetails magazine, you, you wrote an article about this and uh, which was good. I enjoyed it. And that's kind of what prompted me to, to get in touch with you and have you on here. Um, Before we dive into kind of the hunting strategy side of things, though, I'd like to cover just, you know, some basic oak biology, I guess, or, or dendrology, whatever you want to call it. But uh, just cover some basics of, of oaks and acorns. Um, and, and I'll try to try to make sure I call them acorns and not acorns. Um, I've, I've been down <laughs> here in Georgia for 10 years now. So uh, I'm getting, I'm starting to to hear myself call them acorns every once in a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, now that I live back on the coast again, it's like, well, you know, uh, now I hear it just as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want to call them. Uh, us deer hunters love them. Uh, so uh, I guess just start off by what's, what's the big attraction factor there to start with for deer? Why, why is it that deer will seem to abandon all other food sources, uh, when those acorns are hitting the ground? I would say that to answer that in one question, it would just be adaptation. And that is that the, the, the species of white-tailed deer are, are adapted to that fall hard mass crop that is very high in, in energy. So it's, it's super high in carbs and fat depending on the species. And it's a great way for deer to pack on a lot of, a lot of body fat prior to the win- to winter. You know, it's a very concentrated food source. You know, I'll point out, even when deer are eating acorns, they're, they're never just eating acorns. And, and I, I think that's the most fascinating thing about deer. When, when we have conversations about 
white-tailed deer, and it doesn't matter who who you have you know a conversation with, any deer scientists will always talk about well, deer are selecting this species over that species. You know, we, we can never get into the brain of a deer and say that deer prefers this species over that species. We, we can just look at their behavior and try to make some inferences about what those behaviors mean. But folks you know, way smarter than me who have studied ruminant ecology recognize that, that no ruminant is just going to, and deer being a ruminant, they have a four-chambered stomach, no ruminant is just going to walk into a field, stick his face in the ground and eat one species 24-7 or, or you know, every meal of the day. It's a lot more complex than that. There is there's a, a balance of um, toxins. So, so there, there's tannins, phenols, there's, there's, um, and then there, there's nutrients, there's, there's proteins, there's, there's macronutrients, there's micronutrients. There's all of these different um, ingredients that go into food, right? And so white oaks are super high in carbs, a little bit lower in fats than, than red oaks are. And deer can eat a whole lot of white oak acorns. Uh, but when they're eating white oak acorns, they, they also need other forages to help balance some of the, the, the super, you know, intense energy levels in those acorns. And, uh, and I'm not going to dive into that because it's, it's a lot more complex than, than what I'm making it out to be. But I guess what I'm getting at is the really cool thing about white-tailed deer is you can never look at a deer and say, hey, that deer, all that deer eats is corn <laughs> or all it eats is this. Because deer can't, you know, they, if they were to eat just one plant the rest of their life, they, they would be deficient in something and they would, they would probably die from some kind of a, uh, deficiency. Same as if humans just ate candy corn, like they would be a problem there. You know, I, I wouldn't be in very good shape and probably couldn't kill a deer if I was eating candy corn all the time. Um, so, you know, even when deer are eating these acorns in the fall and they are a tremendous um, attract, attraction to deer and they, they definitely eat, eat a lot of acorns in the fall, they're still eating 10, 20 percent of their of their um, their food is, is non oak or you know, non acorns. Um, and that could be depending on the season of where they're at in the country, that could be um falling leaves you know sugar uh sugar maple leaves on the ground it could be mushrooms it could be um, some woody brows it could be some forbs some, some winter forbs it can be a whole lot of things but um nonetheless in fall acorns do make up when they're available make up a very large um, proportion of a deer's diet which makes them an excellent food source to hunt from a hunting perspective because here to hunt deer um you know Based on just solely what they eat, you know, you could, if it was like, say it was, you're hunting deer in July and you're hunting ragweed, well, there's a ragweed plant here and then maybe 200 yards that way, there's a ragweed plant and there, you know, and then there's other, other forbs in between. It's really hard to find a concentrated food source, but when you find the oak tree that deer are really keying in on, maybe they're going to consume 80 or 9% of their, uh, of, of the food they intake in a day under the oaks on this certain ridge. Well, it's pretty easy to, um, to intercept that deer or at least make contact with that deer if, if most of what it's eating is on a ridge um, or, you know, in, in a specific acorn flat. Um, the acorns are they're tremendously uh, attractive to, to white-tailed deer. They're, they're very low in protein. Um, they, they have pretty, pretty low protein levels. But, you know, this time of year in fall, deer don't have the highest protein requirements. Um, you know, the, the, highest, the highest protein requirement, the highest quality diet requirement um, nutrient requirement is a lactating deer. You know, so right after she's given birth to her fawns, that's when um, the nutrient requirements in any deer is the highest. You know, second to that would be um, a, a buck growing antlers or, or actually a doe um, growing a, a fawn, growing a fetus. So in, in uh, late pregnancy, 
And then, you know, this time of year, they're, they're packing on fat. They're, they're putting on energy. And so those acorns, even though they're low in protein, that's, that's really not much of a problem for deer. They're getting a lot of carbs. And, and then, of course, red oaks, they're actually a little bit higher in fats than the white oaks. So there's, there's actually some, some uh, pros and cons to, to both of them, or not necessarily pros and cons, but strengths, different strengths to white oaks and red oaks. Yeah, which which we're going to get into here in a minute. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that's always fascinated fascinated me about about white-tailed deer is just their their ability to seemingly seek out and and browse the 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 plants and the the parts that um you know that has has the nutrients that they need at any given time. You know, even even specific parts of the plant. You know, to be able to pick the most nutritious part of a plant off. Uh, and feed on that it's just man they they are amazing amazing critters no doubt they are and they they do it so seamlessly too yeah. you know that it seems like when they walk through the woods they know exactly what they want you don't want to ever see a deer spitting something out <laughs> to go after <laughs> yeah. something else you know that's right now you know we we've you've talked about white oaks and red oaks here um several times and i think you know most hunters are aware that that there's a lot of different oak species out there uh, but they all tend to fall into those those two primary categories, white oaks and red oaks. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between those two and uh, and why white oaks seem to get all the love from deer hunters? Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's two um, sub genuses of, of oaks, subgenera, I guess, if we're being proper, proper English here. <laughs> um, there's the red oaks and the, and the white oaks and, and the actual scientific name for those subgenera is, is a lot longer and something you don't want to remember. <laughs> red oaks are, they're very closely related to white oaks um, and, and they occur in the same genus. So when we're looking at them taxonomically, they're, they're very similar, but there are these distinct differences between uh, the trees and the fruits produced by the, the red oak subgenus uh, versus the white oak subgenus. Um, you're looking at a tree and you have no idea what species it is. The easiest way to tell uh, which of these of these subgroups it, it fits into is to look at the leaf shape, essentially, and, and, and look at the lobe. So um, depending on whatever species it is, the leaf will have lobes, you know, they'll kind of look like little fingertips sticking out. If there's a little prickle on the end of those lobes, um, it's more than likely a red oak species. If it if it's a smooth lobe with no prickle, it's it's more than likely likely a white oak. And I say more than likely because there's actually some exceptions within those species, which is of course very annoying to yeah. anyone oh, yeah. <laughs> studying these. But like 99 times out of 100, if it has a prickle, it's a red oak. And, and otherwise, uh, if you look at the bark, lighter colored bark is usually found on the white oak species. Not always, but usually found. White oak species will have lighter, flakier bark uh, versus the red oak species usually has. Um, a, a tighter, darker bark. Um, and of course, there's variation within and, and across species. Uh, but those are two main differences, morphometric differences between these two groups. And then if we get into the, the, the acorns, there's, there's a, some other differences if, if you look at their acorns. Um, really, the big one is how those trees produce mass. So um, mass, as is, is I've been calling it, is is a masting, I should say, is a strategy that different plants use to produce a lot of seed, which acorns are seed. Um, and the, the hypothesis among many forest ecologists is that the, the, the reason behind producing all of the seed at once is that you're swamping the predators that eat that seed. So in other words, 
if I were to produce, if I were a tree and I produce 10 acorns, it's really easy for a deer to eat those 10 acorns. But if I produce 10,000 acorns, there's a lot higher probability that some of them are going to make it through and actually be able to germinate because the deer can't eat all of them. And, and that's the, the general kind of idea behind mass seeding. And, um, and so when, when white oaks produce mass, they, they in general will produce mass less often. So um, if it's a really good white oak year, a lot of times there won't be another really good white oak year for four or five years, whereas red oaks produce a little bit more often. Usually they'll have a good mass year every two or three years. Of course, this is just on average. Um, and if we're looking a little bit more specifically at those plants, when a white oak produces an acorn, the flower that, that, that turned into that acorn uh, was on that branch that year. So in spring of 2021, white oaks across the country were blooming. And those that were successfully fertilized are now acorns falling on the ground now. However, the, the flowers on red oaks this spring, in spring of 2021, were fertilized. They're growing on those branches and they will not drop to the ground until the fall of 2022. There's a big difference there. But one thing that, that some few people, I guess, don't realize about that is actually red oaks can produce every single year a certain species. And I've seen it. I've seen trees that have a bumper crop two years in a row. And that means that there are large acorns falling on the ground. At the same time, there are smaller acorns on that branch that will be the next year's crop. And, and that can happen in the red oak group. And it's actually kind of cool if you ever find a branch, you'll have these big acorns that are they're ripe and about to fall. And then you'll have little acorns that are a tenth of the size, just barely little buds sitting on the branch. I mean, that's something that's specific to the red oak group versus the white oak group. That's that's another main difference between those. And um, then the other thing, and, and one reason that white oaks seem to get a lot of love over red oaks is that on the average, they tend to have lower tannin levels than in red oaks. Now, I do want to, to kind of throw in a caveat here. That's on the average. Between trees and between species within those groups, there is likely quite a bit of variation in tannin levels. And that goes for white oaks and that goes for red oaks the same. Now, I, I'll just throw in a little anecdote here. I have seen deer walk right past falling white oaks and swamp chestnut oaks to eat acorns from, from a dropping red oak. So this hard and fast rule that I think hunters have, have overly adopted that, that deer just like white oaks over red oaks, it, I have, I've never read a scientific paper that, that, that has shown that, I guess that has reviewed enough um, research projects showing that over and over again to actually, for me to adopt that as, as, as 100% truth. Now, there have been some research projects that have shown deer selecting one white oak species over red oaks, uh, but not, not, you know, we're not seeing that necessarily consistently. So I think what we've seen happen is that this has kind of been adopted as is like hunting, it's kind of like hunting lore. It's just like, well, my granddad said that white oaks were the, the tree I'm <laughs> supposed to hunt and, and red oaks aren't. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know why that has almost begun to bug me, but I think it's because I've had such great success hunting red oaks and no one seems to pay any attention to them, which I don't know, maybe I should keep my mouth shut. But <laughs> it go. actually it, it, it can be so effective. Um, and, and like I said, I, in, in many instances, I've seen deer walk right past white oaks, uh, falling white oaks to go to falling red oaks. So there's, there really is no hard and fast rule that says deer are going to eat one species over another um, or white oaks over red oaks. And I guess I should mention one other thing here because I, I feel like I kind of blew past this. Um, and, and, and Brian, you actually brought this up. But there are, when I say white oaks versus red oaks, I'm talking about groups of species. So depending on where you're at, you know, it, let's say in the southeast here, when I say white oaks, I mean 
swamp chestnut oak. I mean, overcup oak. I mean, post oak. I mean, white oak. I mean, chestnut oak. These are all different species that fall within that white oak group. So the most confusing thing about all of this is that there is the white oak group and then there is the white oak species. And that is, that I just I wish that someone somewhere had just not done that whenever they were naming <laughs> yeah. trees, because we've got um, Quercus alba is white oak. That is proper white oak. And that is something that most all of us hunters have all seen and probably hunted under. And then there's Quercus stellata. That's that's post oak. Now, that's another white oak, but it is a definitely a different species. There's a lot of different attributes of that species over another one. Um, so that's something worth mentioning and the same goes for for red oaks um now in general there's there is one species that sometimes is just called red oak and that's northern red oak but the full full common name is northern red oak um, corcus rubra there's a lot of different uh species of red oak in the south in in, in upland forest stands in the south you know if, if you're wanting to learn your oaks i would suggest looking up northern red oak scarlet oak and southern oak southern red oak sorry those three would be really good ones to get started with in, in an upland forest stand. If you're hunting bottomland forest, as far as its red oaks go, I would look at um, Schumard oak. I would look at um, sometimes northern red oak work will occur down in, into those bottomland stands. Those two are, are pretty good. Pin oak, um, that's, that's generally along the Mississippi River Valley. And then um, nut all oak, another good, another good bottomland red oak. And then in white oak group, you just look up Quercus alba, white oak, and and uh, swamp chestnut oak. Those two would be great ones to get started with. Um, the point is here: there are a lot of species of oaks, and the more you can learn about them, believe it or not, the more effective a sportsman you will be. Um, and, and and honestly, you know, it's something I, I kind of wrote off early, um, and I think it, it's easy to do. It's like, well, I can tell if a tree's producing acorns or it isn't. Um, so why do I need to know what ex- what species it is? And, you know, the truth is, yeah, you know, you can look at a tree and you can tell if a, if a deer is eating under it. But that historical knowledge really comes in handy when you, you know, well, hey, when it's a good northern red oak year, there's going to be deer all over this ridge. Now, when it's a scarlet red oak year, they, they're not going to be there. They're maybe more spread out on the on, you know, following these single trees around. You start to pick up some of this historical knowledge and you can tie that to any given year based on what you're seeing oaks produce. And that's why I really do think learning your oak species is, is one of the most one of the, one of the one of the most effective ways to really increase um, your, your effectiveness as a sportsman. So um, get a good field guide. You know, you, there's there's plenty of plant ID books out there. Um, there's there's good plant ID apps. iNaturalist is, is a great one. I, I love that app. You can take a picture um, and ask the app, what did I see? And it will generally give you at least the genus and a lot of times suggestions on the species you kind of look through. And honestly, I mean, so many times I found a plant had no clue what it was. And in 30 seconds, I knew exactly what species I was looking at. And you can do that. You can just carry that with you and it's free. Um, so the, the iNaturalist app, I would say for anyone out there aspiring to, to improve their, their woodsmanship is use that to ID some oak trees. I think I went probably a little overboard. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Answer your question. No, that's all right. That's good stuff. You hit on some some questions that I uh, yeah I was going to ask anyway, so that that's good. But yeah, I can second for the uh, well. I've used iNaturalist. I've used another one called Picture This. But uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of or several great apps out there that man are just uh, lifesavers when it comes to being able to quickly ID plants and stuff like you're talking about there. That 
Uh, I use it all the time here when, when I bought my little property here that I live on now, I, I go around all the time, you know, just, okay, what's that? What's that? You know, refreshing my memory on, on a lot of these different plants growing around here. And so yeah, good stuff there. I want to jump back. One thing you mentioned was that there can be a pretty wide variation in tannin levels, even among, I guess, the same species of trees. Um, is that, would you attribute that to, you know, why it seems like sometimes deer might favor one tree over another when you have acorns dropping all around and it seems like the deer are focused on, on this one tree. Is that the most likely, is that the answer? Is it tannin levels or could there be other things that factors at play there? Yeah. So I guess that's, that's kind of a hypothesis of mine. Um, I've looked at from, from my own measurements um, and I've looked between studies measure, measuring tannin levels um, in acorns of the same species and, and seeing these differences in measurements, which is where that variation I'm talking about is coming from. I guess my hypothesis is that, again, this is kind of a personal pet theory, but you know, I, I think there probably is variation between trees. Um, there's probably some variation there. And that could definitely drive selection of one tree's acorns over another. Now, I, I've never gone and measured those, you know, one tree over another. So I can't say definitively um, that that's what's going on. But it, you know, I, I, you wouldn't have to twist my arm very much for me to believe <laughs> that's, you know, that's what's happening. There's, there are definitely um, plenty of anecdotal situation or, uh, there's plenty of anecdotal evidence i guess in my mind when i have seen one tree producing a lot of acorns and the other one next to it deer pay atten- attention to only one tree and, and ignore the other one um, and, and in so many instances i have seen that with one species or another where you know one tree looks perfectly fine and, and there's deer walking right under it but they're just not eating those acorns now whether or not that's tanna levels whether or not that's uh, you know the level of some nutrient in that acorn who knows but I, I think that that could definitely be it. Yeah, I, I, I hesitate, hesitate to say that that's what it is because I can't can't prove it with numbers. But <laughs> yeah, that could definitely be part of it. Now, it sounds like your research, you mainly used Schumard oak acorn. So you, you might not even looked at this, but I, I'm just curious if you've noticed even anecdotally that within a, um, a group, say the red oak group, do deer seem to favor one species over another or is it just mainly kind of what's dropping at the time i uh I, i'm gonna just preface all this all this to say that it probably is <laughs> anecdotal evidence <laughs> this is something i've seen and think i'm seeing um because i'm not aware of any i'll put it this way i'm not aware of any robust study that's looked at selection of acorns in wild deer um gotcha. uh, you know with a large sample size of wild deer so i, I can't really answer it from the from that uh from the science, scientific side um, i did try to answer that question a little bit during my thesis and we we kind of fell on the fell on the thorn of of sample size and not getting enough repetitions for me to really be confident in what we were seeing but as far as like from anecdotal evidence i feel like that happened um but but then again i think the world of white-tailed deer is full of exceptions which oh, honestly yeah. is what makes it so cool um for my preference if i'm hunting in a bottomless situation I'm really partial to Schumard oak acorns. Um, they, they produce a very large acorn, Schumard oaks do, and I've had a lot of success personally hunting under them. Now, that could be completely biased that I just select the hunter of those trees, so naturally that's where I'm successful. Right. Um, but 
I do feel like those are very good. I also really like Northern Red Oaks, which again has another very large acorn. Um, I think that's another really good bet. But, you know, if, if it's a year where there's not Northern Red Oak acorns, I'm not just going to stop hunting acorns. I'm going to find what, what other you know, species produce that year. And, and you can be sure that deer are doing the same. Like they're going to eat whatever's out there. Um, and, and whether or not they have some, some level of selection between one or the other, I wish we could answer that question. You know, I, I think of a deer um, that, that I ended up harvesting down in Mississippi um, during uh, November a couple of years ago. And I was hunting. I first started out hunting these white oak acorns, then swamp chestnut oak acorns. And I just wasn't finding much sign under them. And these, these trees were dropping heavily. And I was working my way up this drainage. And, and one evening, I really pushed far in there. And I found a cherry bark oak dropping which for anyone who knows cherry bark, that's a very small acorn. I mean, you're, you're talking about an acorn that's smaller than a dime. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, there's these big, you know, fresh swamp chestnut and wild oaks down the creek. But, but darn if the deer weren't all underneath that, that cherry bark oak, <laughs> you know? And, and honestly, I, I can't explain it. Like I, I'd hunted that spot and the deer had been all over the white oaks the year before. But for whatever reason, they love that cherry bark oak tree. Um, and so I don't know if it was just that tree, whether that, small population of deer really like cherry bark oaks or or what but um i guess i have my favorites and i i i'm afraid to dilute people's mind with my <laughs> with my pet hypotheses over here but yeah. i do prefer i, I really do like to martin or the red oak well I, i'm gonna put you on the spot here again with a, a question that uh has always made me wonder myself where, where i'm at here in georgia uh, at least on one particular track of public land got a lot of chestnut oaks um so you know white oak species dropping these extremely big acorns everywhere and nothing seems to touch them (laughs) any idea why that is i i I don't know i don't have any data any reason anything i can point to to say why deer eat that over or or don't um from talking to people scientists that i i really respect have, have also observed that same thing the deer just don't seem to pay attention to chestnut oaks. But I will say this, I have hunted under chestnut oaks and had phenomenal success. So I don't know, you know, but I've, that was also in a situation where I walked and walked and the deer weren't under any of them, but there was just one particular chestnut oak where the deer, that's just where the deer were. And um, so again, I, you know, I think, I think there are some species that they just might, might like more than others. Uh, and that's based on, it could be based on a macronutrient or a tannin that we can measure, or it could be based on, on something completely different. It might be, you know, some micronutrient is at such a level in that, in that acorn that it, it's becoming um, toxic to the, to the deer that eat too many of them. I mean, who knows, but right. um, I guess what we're getting down to, and, and I wish I could be, be saying, Oh, hard and fast, like deer eat this, <laughs> they don't eat that, they eat this. They but if I did that, I'd be lying, you know, I mean, as a scientist, I, I guess I, uh, I kind of thrive on the, the unknown and, uh, and observation. And I think there's a lot of power for any hunter out there to, um, you know, one, first learn your oak species, but then apply that to your, your hunting property. Because, I mean, th- this applies to deer eating forbs. It applies to deer eating planted crops or, or probably even acorns. From one property to another, from one county or state to another, deer are not going to necessarily eat the same species. And I mean, you know, we see this, I, I observed it with, with so many uh, forages that are so 
highly recommended by you know great scientists who've seen deer just consume the same forage over and over again and then you go to some property and the deer are not touching that but they're eating something next to it that they shouldn't be you know by yeah. our our standards and and so um you know in the in the deer world there's i feel like there's a lot more exceptions than there are hard um than there are hard rules and so you know, for some of those species, it sounds like, yeah, the deer, the deer there, they, I wouldn't hunt chestnut oak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You, yeah. You have to be very careful in the deer world of, of saying, you know, deer always do this or deer never do that. Yeah. Because like you said, there's, there seems to be so many exceptions. There seems to be so many, um, just, you know, the fact that deer are individuals and, and, you know, they don't all do the same thing. Like you said, brassicas is a great example. You know, some properties yeah. they'll tear up the brassicas, other properties they'll walk right past them. And yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it poke weed. You know, it's one of the one of the all time best deer forages. I'd say. I mean, I've wherever you go, deer are wearing out poke weed. Yeah, I've been to a pro I went to a property this summer that was covered up in deer, and they would not look twice at poke weed. <laughs> I mean, they would not. That doesn't make me say, well, pokeweed is a bad forage. It's a great native forage and, and, and it produces fruit that other species eat. But for whatever reason, those deer did not want pokeweed. And it, I'm I'm guessing, you know, if, if if you were to get a really good ruminant ecologist out there, they could probably point to some nutrient, you know, if they did enough analyses of of what's there and what's what the deer are eating on the landscape to say, well, there's probably something in this pokeweed that the deer just don't need that in other areas is very limited. And that's why they're they're seeking out this pokeweed. But um yeah, you know, I think that's that's the beauty of it for everyone. You kind of have to figure out what works on your place. And, you know, you don't even have to wait till deer season to do that. I was I was going to add this, you know, something I've I've kind of found over the years is that just by walking uh, uh, oak ridges or by by walking past oak trees, you'll start to notice trees that in the last year or two got just got completely worn out by deer. And uh, and, and you'll do that by noticing one disturbance of leaves. So like this time of year, I, I uh, this last weekend, I was out hunting and I walked underneath an, an, a white oak tree that doesn't have an acorn on it this year. But I mean, I, I would bet my last dollar that there were deer all over it last year because there was several old rubs. You could see where there had been an old scrape, but all of the leaf litter there was all crumbled up and kicked over and there was dirt on top of it and there was acorn caps everywhere. You could just see the historical sign of deer eating underneath that tree. And, uh, you know, any time of year, you can do that kind of scouting. In fact, right after deer season is a, a great time to do that and, yeah. and figure out, you know, what species are the deer eating on my property? You know, of course, when it's available and, and what trees are they really singling in on? And you just kind of log that away. And next time it's a good white oak year, you can bet I'm going to be seeking out that tree that I found the <laughs> other day. One thing I, I want to touch on before we get too far down the road here, you know, we've talked about tannins a good bit and, and how it you know, might affect the, whether or not a deer chooses to, to eat those acorns, but, uh, it also kind of serves another purpose as well. Doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it plays a factor into how long these acorns are available for the deer to eat. Can you kind of speak to that? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Cause I kind of completely forgotten about the other really big difference between white oaks and red oaks. Um, when white oaks drop on the ground and fall, they germinate with the first rain they get, first amount of moisture. In fact, I've seen acorns that are falling off the tree and, and within 12 hours, they're already cracking open and there's a root shooting out. And that's during a very rainy day in Mississippi. But I mean, it, you know, they're actively 
the strategy of a white oak acorn is to get on the ground and get a root down in the soil and get buried as quickly as possible. A red oak is completely different because a red oak lays on the ground or in the leaf litter until the next spring when it germinates. So from a plant's adaptation standpoint, having higher tannin levels, as red oaks do on average, benefits that, that seed and that um, th those tannins do uh, inhibit digestion uh, of all the nutrients in that acorn, which makes acorn predators like deer, raccoons, anything else likely, you know, less, less likely to consume that acorn. Now, of course, those animals have then adapted to eat those acorns. This is it's called the, what is it? The evolutionary arms race. You know, it's one species is trying to kick the other one off. And then the other one is like, well, ha ha, I can still do it. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's the, the greatest chess match ever. It's like why greenbriars th grows, you know, thorns um, on its stem or prickles. Is that, you know, inhibit herbivory, but deer are still, they just grew a thicker tongue or whatever they did. And they're like, I still love Greenbrier, you know? <laughs> um, so that's, that's like, that's the, the whole point of these tannins is to, um, is to protect that seed until spring. So, so yeah, I mean, you, you make a great point. Those, those white oaks are very different. They fall on the ground. They generally have lower tannins and then they're gone pretty quick. The red oaks are out there that whole time. Now, I, I do want to point out something else. And this is why I'm so happy you brought this up is that, just because something has tannins in it does not make deer not eat it. If deer couldn't eat things with tannins in it, they would starve to death <laughs> because more than just acorns on the landscape have tannins. Some woody browse, you know, woody browse, some forages. These different plants have adapted to fixing tannins in their tissues to inhibit herbivory. It's one of those, um, you know, it, it, one of those biological weapons, essentially, of just trying to inhibit herbivory or, or make that deer eat something else. And so deer actually have <clears throat> proteins in their saliva that binds with those tannins so that they can't inhibit their digestion. And so that allows the deer to be able to consume foods with tannins in them. So when you see deer eating red oaks, it's not because the deer just has absolutely nothing else to eat and it you know, might as well be chewing on cardboard that it's just eating something. No, I mean, Deer have lived with red oaks and white oaks and, and, and they have adapted to being able to consume those acorns, you know, and, and of course they buffer one food with another, which I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, if they're eating something very high in tannins, they're probably going to eat some forage with it that is lower in tannins. Um, they're, they're constantly eating one thing over another you know, and, and, and consuming things together to balance out um, all of the nutrients and tannins and phenols in, in their, in their rumen. But you know, just because something is high in tans, that, that, that doesn't mean it's a wash for deer. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, cool. It's, it's so cool that deer are adapted to eating acorns. And, and, and uh, you know, there is some literature out there that, that does suggest some of the same uh, observations that I saw in my research. And that, it, you know, being that deer will eat those red oaks later into the winter. Part of that is that those acorns are available for deer late into the winter because they're not germinated um you know and, and it could be that in the deer's annual food cycle that they have kind of become habituated to eating white oaks first when they're available and then switching over to those longer lasting foods like red oaks uh, for the rest of winter that's kind of a pet theory but i i, I you know it, it would make sense that you would consume the foods that are only going to be there a short time then you would switch to the longer lived foods man yeah that's interesting uh Never thought of it that way, but yeah, it might, might not be a, uh, that a white, a white oak acorn 
is any better, but like you said, it's just, they know it's there for a short period of time. And, uh, just like yeah. if you got something at your house that, uh, you know, is going to go stale in a week, <laughs> you know, you, you would eat it before that stuff that's going to, going to stay on the shelf for a while. So yeah, oh, man, it's interesting stuff, you know, and, and there's actually, um, so like I said, there, there's these, these proteins that bind with tannins and, um, you know, it could be that, that the, Again, I'm kind of going out on a limb here with another hypothesis, but it could be, very well be that if deer, if the, the annual cycle of the deer's body is to, to consume red oaks in winter, like they're, they're adapted to this, this cyclical pattern, it could be that the, the amount of those proteins in the deer saliva changes over time. And, and it would make sense if you're going to if you're going to annually be consuming something very high in tannins. So that is acorns and that's also in winter you know if a deer's not eating acorns they're eating a lot of woody browse which in general has has higher tannins and, and lignin levels than um the forbs that are available all throughout summer it would make sense for a deer's body to change some of its chemistry to consume more of those high and tannin foods in winter um and and, and i'm just going to pull out a little bit of, of research um this is not related to deer um, but over in Europe, there's actually a, a mouse population where they have found that changing it or changes in temperature actually changes the bot, the, the stomach's ability to consume high tannin foods in that mouse. They're actually able to get more food out of those high tannin acorns in that in that um, in that system. But it's triggered by winter. And they did that by taking these mice and putting them in a laboratory. And they you know basically simulated winter with one. Uh, one cohort of mice and then with the other they just kept warmer temperatures and the ones with warmer temperatures couldn't consume these high tannin acorns but it, once it got to a certain level of cold outside um, those in the treatment group could they could suddenly consume these acorns and that's what they do in the wild and so it's like you know again that's not in white-tailed deer but who's to say that the deer aren't doing something very similar um, and i throw all that in there just to say you know making hard and fast statements that deer like white oaks and don't like red oaks deer eat this and don't eat that um you know you kind of i mean give me a break i mean deer are, are so well adapted to the landscape they live in they're, they're so much they're so much smarter than us when it comes to uh, consumption of foods on the landscape um if there's food there they have you know over many many years they have figured out how to eat that food so yeah again it, it's fun to be a deer <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, deer, deer certainly eat red oak acorns, and uh, you've had some success hunting those red oak, red oak acorns, which is it was kind of the basis for the article you wrote for a recent uh, issue of Quality Whitetails magazine. So let's kind of dive into hunting strategy here a little bit. Um, what role, I guess, do, do those acorns play in your hunting strategy? Is it is it the entire season, or is it more of a, a late season strategy for you? It's becoming more and more full season. You know, when I first started out, I kind of did what everyone does in the South. And that is you hunt acorns for the first month or two. And then you would switch to hunting um, travel patterns during the rut. And then after the rut, I was kind of lost and didn't know what to do. <laughs> and uh, whenever, you know, after I, after that research project in Mississippi, I kind of challenged myself. I was like, look, if, if, if red oaks are such a good food source, I should be able to be successful hunting over them. And it was something I wanted to learn more about. So something that in the last couple of years I've been doing more and more of is just walking oak ridges, walking some of these different spots and trying to figure out how deer 
feed on acorns. And, and I mean that a little bit, a little bit more, um, more in depth than just how the deer eat an acorn. But like when you have a forest that's covered in trees, are deer just spread out willy nilly eating whatever acorn they come across? Are they selecting one area over another because of security? Are they are they consuming just the acorns off of one given tree or one given species? These are kind of things, you know, ideas that popped into my head. I was trying to answer. Um, and so, you know, after a couple of years, I don't have all the answers. I can speak to some of the observations I've made uh, related to those questions and uh, kind of where my my overall um, acorn hunting ideas are. And that is that, you know, at, at any given time of the year um, from September all the way through January and February, if there's acorns, deer are going to be eating them probably to some degree. Of course, early in the season, there's a lot of acorns. And, and depending on the year, that could be a ton of acorns. That could be just one or two species producing. But in any given year, there's generally at least one or two oak species that are going to produce acorns. So uh, take, for instance, this year, I kind of mentioned this earlier. I, I've looked at a lot of oak trees and it doesn't seem like white oaks are really producing this year, at least where I'm at. Swamp chestnut oaks, pretty much a wash as well. Um, down in these bottomland areas, that leaves me with um, swamp laurel oak, which is actually having a pretty good year. Those have very small acorns, but they're, they're having a pretty good year. But just about, I'd say 50% of the southern red oaks that I found have been covered in acorns, and this held true in, in Indiana scouting the summer. They, they were they were covered in acorns. Now the northern red oaks has been a pretty poor year, but those southern red oaks have been covered in acorns. So my perspective going into it right now is that well, I only know of about two species that are producing very well. So deer are going to be eating one of those species more than likely. Now that doesn't mean that deer are going to be spread out all over the place. I I every year I I, I kind of wrestle with this idea. It's like the inner monster. You're like. Well, there's food everywhere. I can't, you know, I can't find out where they are. Um, and I really don't believe that's true. What I believe is the case is that it just takes a lot of work to find that tree. And as season goes on, it becomes easier and easier to narrow it down, which is why I like late season. But starting out now, you're starting out with 100% of the acorns that are going to be available, 100% of the trees. And there's a handful of trees that I believe those deer are probably you know, somewhere on the landscape, there's a handful of trees those deer are really keying in on. And so this time of year, I'm just covering ground and I'll sometimes put a stand on my back. Sometimes I don't might be carrying my bow or whatever. And I'm just walking. If I find the tree, and I mean the tree, I will set up and I'll hunt it. Um, and if I don't, I just keep walking. It's just part of learning. It's part of, of figuring out what the deer are doing. But as the season progresses, you know, more and more of those trees get cleaned up. And the later you get in your season, it, it honestly becomes easier and easier to figure out where the deer are. Now, that also means that it's harder and harder to find acorns, but that's what's actually working in your favor. So, you know, this time of year, um, it, it's, it's, it's an annual cycle. You know, it's, it's an annual process. And um, so you kind of start at the beginning of season, getting a feel for what's producing acorns. Um, every day that I'm awake, I'm scouting for deer. So... Uh, when I walk out to check the mail, you know, I've got a, a white oak tree right here and I'm looking <laughs> to see, oh, is it producing, you know, um, just always kind of making those observations, which then sets me up for going into the woods as I'm walking through the woods. Obviously, I'm I'm walking in one little spot and I can see maybe a hundred, a few hundred yards to the side. And I use my binoculars to look at the bark of those trees. And, you know, it might be a ground level. It might be 10 feet up if there's a real developed understory. 
and I'm looking for the, the species of oaks that I know are producing that year. And if I see trees that I, you know, I know that's a, they're producing this year, that's a white oak. I'm going to go over there and check out the ground underneath each one. Um, and, and I'd basically just kind of start out that way and, and scout out spots that, you know, they have more going for them than just acorns. I'm not going to go walk an open uh, oak flat right on the edge of a crop field just because it's so easy to get to. I'm going to favor an oak ridge that's a little bit more secluded and has some, some developed understory with it, maybe some side ridges or spurs where I know deer bed. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm taking some of that into account, but um, knowing, knowing how to identify a tree by bark or having a good guess of species helps tremendously when boots hit the ground. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'm just, I'm walking and I'm finding those trees that have acorns and I'm looking at sign underneath them. And even if there's not good deer sign, if it's a tree that's covered with acorns, I will drop a pin and I'll come back and check later. You know, and, it, and this time of year, if, you know, if it's a, a red oak and I just not seen any deer sign, I might not come back for a month. Um, or, you know, I might be, I might be back in a couple of weeks if there's already a little bit of deer sign just to see if it changes. And I just kind of start building that catalog every year in the back of my head of where I know there's food and observations of what deer are eating. So if I'm, you know, if, again, this year, I found like one northern red oak that has acorns. It hasn't started dropping yet. I'm going to check back on that tree in a week and a week after that. And I'm going to keep checking back because it's going to be a very narrow window and deer will probably be all over that tree because it's the only one I found. But all of the southern red oaks that I found that have acorns, I'm just going to kind of keep hunting through those. And I expect that eventually by December, there'll be, we'll be down to just a handful that have acorns and I'll be hunting over those. So it's, it's an iterative process that just takes kind of, you just kind of keep willing away at it um, and, and thinking about it. But the fun thing is, is every day you walk into the woods with your, your uh, equipment of choice, whether that's a bow or a gun or whatever, you can, you can take a deer, you can harvest a deer, um, whether or not you have your stand with you or not. And, any day you're out there walking, you can walk into the tree. And that's happened to me, you know, it'll happen a couple of times each year. And when I find the tree, I'm talking about there's, there's deer poop all under it. The leaves are all turned over. There's holes of acorns. There's acorn halves with deer molar marks all through them. There is absolute definitive sign that deer have been all over it. And I know the tree when I find it because it gives me kind of goosebumps and my, my hair stand up on the back of my neck because if it's three o'clock, four o'clock noon, it doesn't matter what time. If I find that tree, I feel like a deer could walk in on me any second. And I'm nervous about how quickly I can get set up or that sitting on the ground or you know, trying to climb a tree to set up. I'm nervous that I won't be ready before a deer walks in. And, and when you have that feeling, you know, you have found the spot. And every time I have that feeling, I have deer under me. And most times I, you know, I'll harvest a deer. Yeah. Are, are you, uh, are you familiar with Warren Womack? Oh, yeah. Louisiana? Yeah. 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 I just, uh, talked to him on, uh, I think it was episode seven and very similar hunting style in that, you know, he spends a lot of time out there just walking, looking for that tree. Exactly what you're talking about. He calls them feed trees or, uh, so he's looking for a hot feed tree. Um, again, pretty much very similar to what you're talking about there. You know, he'll walk and, and if he walks all evening and never climbs in a tree, then then that's OK. You know, he I, I like what he said. He he uh, what does it? he no longer hang in hopes? He, he yeah. doesn't do, he doesn't hang in hope. You know, he hangs and expects. Right. Uh, so, so right. Right along with what you said there. Uh, and, and I I got to 
confession, I actually went out hunting a piece of public land here uh, just last week, I guess it was. And it was an area that I've killed a couple deer in the past. Um, a lot of white oaks in there. It's always kind of a, a slam dunk for a doe if the white oaks are producing or when the white oaks are producing and uh, got in there. And unfortunately they just, they just were not dropping uh, other than maybe, you know, a few here and there, the sign wasn't there. I knew I should have just kept on, should have, you know, kept on scouting, kept on looking and I climbed in a tree anyway. And of course I seen the big goose egg, you know, no deer yeah. that evening. Uh, you just, uh, yeah, I'm trying to do better about that myself. You know, if the sign's not there, I don't want to hang and hope. I want to hang and expect to see deer. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Now I know you were able to kill a a really nice public land buck in Indiana last year, late season. Um, uh, I believe keying in on, on acorns. Can you kind of walk us through that hunt? Oh yeah. So, um, we'll just kind of pick up the tail end of the rut. You know, the rut up there is, is early, um, early mid November essentially. Um, and just a note for, for anyone hunting the Midwest, I, I hate to, I don't want to generalize it too much. Let's just say, uh, anyone hunting Southern Indiana, the last week of November or the last week of archery season, the beginning of November, the peak of the rut, you would think that's the time to be in the woods, but so does all the other thousands of hunters. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it was absolutely blowing my mind how many people I was seeing. I was seeing, I was seeing more, uh, people on trucks than I was seeing deer tracks in the woods. I mean, it was, it was absolutely insane. So I hunted through that, you know, and um, at the beginning of the season, I kind of hoped that that would be the time of the year, the the fabled Midwest rut where, you know, there would be deer running everywhere and um, there was people running everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. I got to the tail end of that uh, actually through our, our gun season. Um, and it was the beginning of December. We had gone back to archery, uh, archery season and so, you know, I was kind of hard headed last year and I'd been hunting, trying to hunt pinch points and, and all this. And finally, I said, you know, I'm going to go back to those to those oak ridges. Um, now that's getting later in the season is getting closer to winter. Go back and hunt those oak ridges and start picking them apart, essentially. Um, and the part of southern Indiana where I was at, I mean, it's it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of upland hardwood forest, which is can be a little bit intimidating, which I think is why I would kind of put it off <laughs> as long as I had. Um, anyway, slipping in that first evening, you know, um, I, I, I almost shot a buck off the ground. In fact, I would have, if I, uh, if I could guess yardage range with any amount of accuracy, <laughs> I was slipping up a ridge and all of a sudden had does coming, dropped to my knees, um, with my bow, knocked an arrow, had the does work past me and, um, had this pretty nice buck come out and he kind of pegged me, but, um, he offered me a shot and I, I, let one sail right over his back. And, um, and that kind of tipped me off that I was, I was onto something there. There was about seven deer walked right past me that evening. And that was basically from the outside working in. Um, at that point I knew there were, there were deer on this particular block of, of national forest. Um, there, there were deer eating acorns. And, um, so then I just started walking ridges. Eventually I started to key in on that property. There were scarlet oaks and Northern red oaks that had acorns. Um, and this kind of get back to something you had asked earlier, at least last year, when it came to those two species, they all, all the sign was underneath the Northern red oaks. Now I'm not saying scarlet oaks are bad or anything, but it seemed <laughs> like there, I could, I could pretty well get a lot more excited about it seeing a Northern red oak. Um, and of all the oaks in the woods, I'd say one out of 10 were Northern red oaks there. Um, they, they, they were pretty limited. 
And uh, so they were easy to pick out and, and just basically walking through the woods. What I was doing is I had about four main ridges I was hunting at the beginning. I would just walk those main ridges right near the crest of that ridge and glass off of that ridge top. And in southern Indiana, it's pretty steep topography. So um, you don't run to the bottom of the ridge if you can help it because <laughs> you got to run back up. But um, I'm just glassing for northern red oaks. You got what they dendrologists call the long ski trails of a northern red oak. Uh, it's essentially that 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 kind of bright grayish striping up and down those trees. If you've ever seen one closely, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's hard to yeah. describe. Uh, but I just walk along. And I walked those ridges and glassing those trees. I found two different ridges that had clusters, like basically little groves of northern red oaks on them. Both of them had acorns, but one was getting a lot more sun. So at that point, I knew that you know, basically half of this ridge had the sign I wanted to hunt. So I hunted it a couple times, kind of narrowing in on the tree I wanted to, to sit under. Um, and I set up one or two trail cameras. And that gets me to about mid-December. Uh, we were back in the muzzleloader season. And um, I ended up one evening going up. It was like my third hunt on this ridge, slipping in. And I jumped a real nice buck. Um, and he was feeding up there at like 3 p.m. And uh, so I was kind of kicking myself. I was like, well, I can't get out there. I, I couldn't have gotten in, out any earlier than that that day. That, that was as soon as I could get in the woods. So um, I just should have been slipping in sooner. But it told me that deer were using this ridge all through. You know, they're they using it throughout the day. And my trail cameras were confirming that. In fact, there were um, quite a few other sh shooter bucks, you know, ni nice bucks using that ridge. Um, the next day after that, I, I had it was a weekend day and I had that whole day blocked out and it ended up pouring rain that morning. Um, so I wasn't going to take my muzzleloader out in the pouring rain. <laughs> I've learned that lesson. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> yeah. work well. It doesn't end well for anyone. Um, and well, it ends well for the deer. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up actually heading out that morning about 11 o'clock, slipping into that spot. And of course, the rain made it real easy to slip in. And uh, by the time I got to the, to the valley bottom below that ridge, I, I sat down and I just glassed that whole ridge. And I didn't see anything. I started to slip towards it, got about 10 yards closer, and I saw a tail flick up there. Sat down again, I started glassing again, and, and there was that, that big buck I had seen the day before was up there. And he was about 175 yards, but there was, there was too many twigs um, for me to take a shot. So I ended up just watching him from about 11.30 till 12, 12.30, somewhere in there. Um, he finally fed over the top of the ridge. So I, it, it honestly took me, to go the last 200 yards, it took me an hour and a half just slipping ever so slowly because I knew he was somewhere on that ridge and I hoped he was on the other side, but I thought he could be better on my side somewhere. And I, I slipped up there and uh, ever so silently put my climber on the stand on a tree and I started climbing up this tree and I get eight feet off the ground and I, I look over the top of the ridge because I'm, I'm getting level with the top of the ridge. And I'm like, there's a deer right there. And uh, 30 yards from me, as I'm climbing up, I see a deer's head. So I sit down, I pull my gun up and I'm sitting there facing the tree you know my standing up in my climber because I'm, I'm just kind of not not set up at all <laughs> and i she it turned its head and i saw it was a doe and i was like oh, okay perfect maybe that buck's right behind her and uh no it what ended up happening it was it was eight deer that got up right there and they were all bedded right there i walked right in on them and they kind of looped around me and, and came down the hill and and milled around me and they finally left and i was able to climb up so it didn't get to like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, I've been hunting for four or five hours till I'm finally sitting there. Um, and then, yeah, a couple hours later, two bucks started easing up the ridge. Um, 
there was an eight point and a 10 point or seven point and an eight point or sorry, 10 point and a seven point shot the seven point and he dropped him right there. Um, and, and that was it. And I, you know, of course, boarded the deer out of there, packed it out of the woods. And I left cameras running on that, on that ridge, just out of curiosity. Again, I'm always trying to learn. So I actually left three or four cameras running on this ridge under, underneath different oak trees. And I took that deer December 13th, 14th, somewhere in there. And I had daylight activity from does, fawns, and more than just three or four mature bucks all the way through um, January and, and well into February, closer to March. The day act, daylight activity feeding on these acorns. And it really just, it blew my mind. And, you know, and I entered into that thinking, oh, you know, this is what I need to do to be successful. Um, and it, it really just blew my mind because I had underestimated just how good it could be. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, looking at those photos afterward, I mean, there was a lot, a lot better deer using that, that ridge than I took. Um, but it, with the bucks specifically, you could see how many different unique deer were coming through there. And it, it really just, it blew my mind. I ended up, um, the, the bigger buck that I had seen that day and the spook the day before, I ended up finding his sheds on that ridge. He actually shed uh, in December last year, shed really early. And uh, he dropped them both right underneath an oak tree for me to find. And <laughs> squirrels found them first. They, get, they got a lot of chews in first. But, um, you know, it, that, that story last year was, it was my first time really sticking with it throughout, you know, through enough time to be successful. And um, really impressed upon me that if you, if, you really, if you really put the work in, that time of year when there was very few people in the woods anymore, most people had given up. You know, you talk to people in Indiana, they, they say, oh, the, all the deer are shot up by, you know, by the end of rifle <laughs> season, there's nothing, nothing, you know, the deer are all scared. You're not seeing any deer. Man, I saw more deer that week of hunting than I saw all through archery season or during the rut put together. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. That, that day I, I took my buck, I saw nine or 11 deer, something like that, um, all within easy range. And, uh, so anyway, yeah, I mean, the, the late season hunting um, application of, of red oaks, I, I, think, I think it gets underestimated. Um, and I can't decide if, if, I, if I like that. Because, <laughs> you know, as long, as long as no one else is hunting them, the, those deer become so unpressured late in the season, or they so often do. It can be tremendous hunting. Yeah. Well, I know you're definitely going to have me out there paying more attention to those red oaks in, in the late season now. In the past, I tend to... I guess get out there and look for more for greenery, you know, those uh greenbrier patches, honeysuckle thickets, that kind of stuff, but but yeah, I'll be uh, keeping a, an eye out more for those those red oak trees this this winter yeah. for sure. Yeah, and I I I mean, if that's my plan. I'm going back to Indiana um in December for an archery hunt and that's I mean, that's the plan. It's find late season food sources and sit on it and, I, and I'll be honest, I'm I'm more confident in that than I would be going back during the rut hunting um, just because man, when you, when you can figure out where deer are feeding it, especially late season, it becomes so much like clockwork. I mean, that's, that's honestly the closest a deer ever becomes, uh, comes to getting patterned. Uh, you know, deer are, deer are not nearly as patternable as I think most people make them out to be. Uh, but when there's, you know, the more that food that's on the landscape gets limited, the more they have to become, almost patternable i mean you, you, yeah. it gets a lot easier to predict where they they're gonna feed you know and that's that's the time of the year to be out there absolutely well man we've been on here well 
quite a bit longer than an hour. Um, but man, I, I have enjoyed it and I appreciate you taking time to come on here and, and talk to me about oaks and, and acorns and hunting strategy. Uh, anywhere, where, where can the folks, I guess, kind of, if they want to kind of keep up with you on social media, maybe follow along how your hunting season's going, uh, where can they do that? So, uh, yeah, my, my, on Instagram is really the only thing I really, really keep up with. Um, username is Mariah underscore biologist and i i'm gonna spell out mariah because i think it's gonna get misspelled <laughs> um it's actually m-o-r-i-a-h underscore biologist and uh you know it's funny most people throw an a in there uh, when people when people hear my name they say oh it's mariah bogus and i'm like no that's not that's actually not what it is at all <laughs> uh I get a kick out of it though actually um i've come to enjoy it more than i thought i would <laughs> <laughs> there you go yeah. Uh, oh, I appreciate it, Mariah. I've I've enjoyed it. Learned learned a lot myself today. So uh that that's always a good thing. Yeah, I enjoyed it too, Brian. And honestly, I I I get excited anytime I can ever talk about these things with with someone who uh who wants to listen. And <laughs> you know, I I don't know everything there is to know about acorns, far from it. Um, but it's fun to throw around the little things that we do know and kind of make some some hypotheses about them. Yeah. I'm uh I, I hope that uh hope that that's clear what I kind of differentiated science from what I think what I think is happening because they're always you know we all kind of take some liberty with making some inferences about how deer really work you know, based on what we do know and I think it's a little easy to get carried away and say this is what deer do and that's what they don't do and um oh, yeah. I'd be the last to say that I, I don't know what deer do every time but they're yeah. fun I love I love studying deer yeah, I'm pretty sure Lindsey Thomas is catching some hate today for his uh, his article that we posted today about how code fronts don't necessarily get deer on their feet. You know that the science doesn't back that. So <laughs> I I loved reading that article. I, I it was everything about deer research and science all you know, like you said earlier, formulated and applied to hunting. And uh, you know, it, it got me to realizing as, as hunters how much we've we uh, and I'm guilty of this too. We 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 love to fall back on kind of the, 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 the culture of what we, you know, the, the culture we've developed around hunting so much to the point where we, we have decided what deer do long before deer decided what deer do. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we, we think we know what they do so much better than, uh, than we probably do. Um, <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm guilty of it. I can't help even knowing the science, man. I see that forecast and that cold front and I'm like, Oh, got to get in the woods. <laughs> yeah but, you know it's just yeah uh, it's it's hard to overcome some of those uh things that have been ingrained in your mind for so long but uh, you know you just got to go into it with like you said an open mind and and realize yeah, and the, that that deer uh man deer will fool you they they sure will <laughs> and i think what Lindsay was getting at with that article and something i uh yeah something that i think is worth worth mentioning even with the acorn thing is uh confirmation bias we got to be careful if uh we come to a conclusion. We think we know what's going to happen. And then we see something that we think might prove that. Right. Like if I only hunt on weekends where it's cold and then I see deer when it's cold, my confirmation bias says, well, look, I was right. Yeah. The deer are moving and it's cold and I sure didn't see them last weekend. <laughs> and I, I, I can see that same thing happening with, uh, with acorns. I mean, I can see it happening with myself. If I'm like, oh, you know, it's not just northern reds that are the best to hunt. It's not just red oaks that are best to hunt. I guess the message is uh think about it kind of uh open-mindedly and learn something yeah 
And that's why you're hunting the way you are. You're not just making assumptions that, oh, they're only going to be feeding on, you know, Southern red oaks or Northern red oaks. You're going out there and you're looking, actively looking for where are they feeding? You know, where's the sign? Let the sign dictate uh, what's going on here. So, yeah. Yeah. Active hunting strategy, man. It's the funnest thing out there. Absolutely. Moving around and finding (laughs) where they are. That's right. Hang, (laughs) hang and expect don't hang and hope. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, uh, I've enjoyed listening to to Warren's uh, podcast over the years. They've always been encouraging for his, as I've been trying to develop some of these same tendencies myself and man, it is so true. If you, if you keep walking, you always learn more. I have never regretted not sitting somewhere, but man, I have regretted sitting somewhere a lot of many, oh, many yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just here recently for me. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And man, how much, how much more fun is it to climb into a tree with just, you know, those high expectations of man, I'm going to see something here tonight. You know, the sign is here, you know, even it doesn't even then always happen a hundred percent of the time, but it's so much better than sitting up there thinking, crap, man, why did I climb up in this tree? Oh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well Brian, right. thanks for having me. I enjoy talking acorns anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure uh, at some point we'll have you back on here to, to talk, uh, you know, if not acorns, something else related to deer. So let's do it. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up our interview with Mariah Boggess. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website again at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter Hey, you can become a member and don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that and uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, If it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.